0: Well, we are going to look to the Lord and his word. As you look at John 17, open in your laps, we have just a few final verses. This morning, we have three verses, 24, 25, and 26. And these three verses bring to a close this upper room farewell address that we've been walking through. They bring to a close chapter 17, which is Jesus' high priestly prayer. And so this is, in many ways, the crescendo of all that Jesus has been saying and doing since chapter 13. So if you're taking notes, the subtitle of the message this morning is this. Marvel at the love of God. I'm going to read these three verses and then we'll get, we'll pray and we'll get into the word. Jesus finishes his prayer praying, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So ends Christ's prayer. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we, we have just heard Jesus express his desire to you, and we know that for 2,000 years you have been and are answering this prayer from your Son. And so what we ask right now, Lord, is for you to continue, for you to continue, for Jesus to make your name known to us, and that we would be recipients and observers of the love of God in Christ. And Lord, this morning, that you would furnish our hearts with wonder and awe and unspeakable joy. And what Jesus prays to you and what you're doing in our lives even now. So to that end, Lord, would you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer and all of God's people said, Amen. amen. What is the will of God? I am sure that if you have been a believer for any length of time. If you've done any reading of the Bible, a question that we commonly ask, what we so often go to the Lord in prayer for is, Lord, what's your will? What, what do you want me to do? What is the will of God? When, when we ask that question, what's God's will? We're asking, what does God want of me? What does God want for me? And to say that it's an important question to ask, is, is too small of a statement. In many ways, that just summarizes the Christian life. What is the will of God? Now, when we speak of the will of God, we speak of the revealed will of God and the secret will of God. Well, the re- revealed will of God is right here in the book, What does God will for you? What does God want for your life? It's contained from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. It's the book. That's what God has revealed. And so we read it and we prayerfully apply it to our lives and we walk in the will of God. But there's also the secret will of God. That's the details and the specifics of your life. Pursue this degree or that degree. Take this job or that job. Move here, move there. Pursue marriage with this person or not. And on it goes. It's those things that God has not explicitly said in his word. And so our task is to apply biblical principles. Seek biblical counsel from others. And then just walk with the best wisdom we have before us. And God and his providence will reveal his secret will what is the will of God God's will is is an essential pursuit of the Christian life but here's where everything turns on its head when we speak of God's will we always are asking about ourselves what is God's will for me and we never ask What is God's will for God? Have you ever thought that before? What does God will for God? Today, as Jesus closes this farewell speech and puts the amen on his high priestly prayer as he prepares in the next chapter to move towards the cross, here, Jesus, ever since chapter 13... Jesus will now reveal to us what God's will is for God. Within the mysterious confines of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are now going to hear what God's will is for God and how God brings you and me, people like us, people for the last 2,000 years, into this very will. So... As you're taking notes, the outline comes to us in three parts. Here they are. Point number one. Marvel at the love of God. Jesus wants you with him in glory. That's verse 24. Then we'll move to verse 25 in the beginning of verse 26. Point number two. Marvel at the love of God. Jesus makes the Father known to you. And finally, the end of verse 26, marvel at the love of God. The Father's love for Jesus courses in you. The, the, the command, the takeaway of the message this morning is, is evident in the points that you see before you. Marvel. The aim, I believe, from what we will take from Jesus' words is that simply we would sit with jaw dropped, mouth gaping open, wonder that there is such a God who has saved us. So, without further ado, let's jump right in. Point number one Marvel at the love of God. Jesus wants you with him in glory. Verse 24. Father, I desire... Note that word. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of... Of the world. Jesus wants us with Him and to see His glory. As I just mentioned a moment ago, God's will is an essential pursuit of the Christian life. We want to do what God wants us to do, but here in verse 24, this is where everything turns on its head. When we speak of God's will, we just immediately think about what God wants for me. As I said, we Rarely. No, we never ask, what is God's will for God? Put differently, what does God want? What is God doing? What does God desire? What does God will for Himself? What does the Father want for the Son, the Son for the Father, and the Father, Son for the Spirit, and the Spirit for the Father and Son? What does God want? This is what Jesus reveals in verse 24. When Jesus says, Father, I desire... It's the word will. He, he could just as simply say, Father, I will, that they also. It just doesn't work as well in English. We put desire. The problem is, is that to us, when you desire something, you, you want it, but you don't know if you can get it. You don't know if you can attain it. That, that's not what's happening here. Jesus, God the Son, is declaring what he wants, what he wills. I like how one commentator summarizes this he says jesus is not praying as you and i pray jesus is praying as the son of god the creator of every created thing and jesus is praying as the one who himself is going to prepare a place where he and the disciples will be together and here it is jesus speaks here less as the one who offers prayer and more as the one who answers prayer. This is not merely a request of the Father. This is the will of God expressed by the Son. God is one. God in three persons. There's no division in His will and in His purpose. And so when Jesus prays, Father, my will is that they would be with me. My desire. Jesus is expressing the Father's will and the Spirit's will. What does God Want God wants you. God wants you to be with him so that you could see Jesus's glory. That's what God's will is. And so he invented the gospel to accomplish that. This is what the Father and Son and Spirit want for your life. This is the end for which He works all roads in your life as a Christian lead to feasting with God face to face forever. And what is, what is it about Jesus that Jesus wants us to see about Him? Do you, look, look at your text, verse 24. Father, I desire... That they also, whom you've given me, may be with me where I am. Why, Jesus? To see my glory that you have given me. So, so there it is again. We've, we've encountered glory over and over again in this upper room farewell discourse. And here Jesus wants to see his glory. We've talked about how glory is. It includes shining. It includes seeing and feeling God's character. But what what is Jesus' glory? How, How would you define it? Well, you don't need to define it. He tells us here, did you see the end of the verse? This is amazing. Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, may be with me where I am. Why? To see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. God's will is for you to see and experience face to face Jesus' glory, which is the radiance of the Father's love for him before creation. Jesus wants you to know and see how much the Father loves Him. That's what His, that's what God's will is. We, God gets the glory and we get all the joy because we're wrapped up and brought into God's will as the Father loves the Son and we see the Father's love for the Son shining in the Son and we are brought there to see that. That's what Jesus wants for your life. And because the Trinity this is the Trinity's will, this will most assuredly come to pass without delay or a hindrance. You can't think about this too much. it's abstract it's it's kind of it's hard to wrap your mind around and yet here we have all of these layers peeled back, so to speak, or we're taken behind the scenes and we hear the director's final cut and we're understanding that what Jesus wants, in the end, God's ultimate purpose in the gospel is to bring you into the very presence of God so that you can enjoy Jesus' glory, which is the Father's love for the Son. And yet you and I, Are beset by all manners of anxieties and uncertainties and setbacks in life, doubts and troubles, but God isn't. The Christian life is a long and winding road. There's scree on the path. We slip, we slide, we scrape. We aren't sure if we can get up. We aren't sure if we can make it. We're tempted to think that we'll miss out. On this life and when we're in glory long for things in this age and more, we aren't, we aren't sure deep down if we really admit it, if the new heavens and new earth are, are really going to be satisfying. We just aren't sure about it all, but Jesus is sure. Jesus is sure. As is the Father and as is the Spirit. And so God's desire is that you would be with Him to see Him finally and fully as as a child with a father. To rejoice in the glory of Jesus. To bask in the eternal love of the Father that He has for the Son. This is why, and we come back to this verse so often, it's a favorite verse of mine. This This is why David says, Back in Psalm 1611, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And the best way I can think to describe what King David said there is that if you could take the sum total of all the joys, all the happinesses, all the pleasures that you have ever experienced in your life and bottle it up into one instant and then do that for every human across the globe who's ever existed, and combine all those bottled moments into one moment of joy, happiness, and pleasure, one instant in the presence of God Himself will so outshine all this world has to offer that it will be as if it never was. Because it's in God's presence is the fullness of joy you cannot find the fullness of joy in anyone or anything other than the presence of God himself. And in case you miss the joy, there is pleasures at his right hand forevermore. When the Bible speaks of the new heavens and new earth, it depicts the whole renewed cosmos itself as one giant cosmic Edenic Garden Temple. And that the presence of God Himself is not localized in one spot, but radiates from the throne in which Jesus sits, that His presence fills the entire cosmos. That means that on the new earth, as we go about enjoying creation, as we go about um, living and probably working and just go about life that much in many ways looks like the life that we have now and more, but in glory and without sin, wherever we go, you will be in the fullness of joy because God's presence will be there unhindered for all glory. That's God's will for your life. That's God's will for people like you and me, who were once rebels, glory thieves, uncaring of God and his ways, dismissive and disregarding of him. And yet this is the God who has come into us to make us his own children. So on this first point, as we see God's will, church, we are to marvel at the love of God. Jesus wants you with him. The Father wants you with Jesus. The Spirit wants you with Jesus. The Trinity wants you with Him. And He will bring you into His presence. So that you can see the glory of Christ. Which is the Father's love for Him from eternity. But more than that, point number two. We also marvel at the love of God. Because Jesus makes the Father known. To you. Look at verse twenty-five in the beginning of verse twenty-six as Jesus continues. He shifts gears and he prays, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known. What, what is Jesus saying there? Now, if you've been around here, you know that when when He says, "I made known to them Your name," God's name is the hyperlink text that you click on that reveals the entirety of His of His character. It's not just uh, evangelist, evangelistic knowledge that we call in the name of Jesus, but more than that, it's All who God is within himself. He is a person. He is one God in three persons. And as a person, God is to be known and related with. And so when Jesus came down and entered into humanity, his task was to make known God's name. But this is not just evangelistic. This is not just bringing people from death to life and darkness to light. If you look at verse 26, I made known to them your name. That's in the past. But look what the rest of the verse says, or that portion. And I will continue to make it known. That means that Jesus' will is also, His purpose is also, His mission is also to, right now, not just in glory, but right now in your life, individually and us corporately, to continually make the Father known. Okay? How? Well, do you remember what Jesus said to Philip a few chapters back in 14.9? When Philip said, show us the Father. Remember what Philip said? Or what Jesus said to Philip? If you've seen me, You've seen the Father. So so how does Jesus keep making the Father known? The question is, what is God like? The answer then, to know what the Father is like, is to look to Jesus. What is this God like, who, when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, when you were indifferent to His word and His ways, what is this God like? I, I wonder if, if you're like me, if, if you were God, and you had ever since Adam and Eve and all humanity subsequent to that lived in rebellion and indifference as glory thieves of God, denying his word and his ways, I think that you, like me, maybe perhaps would have just smoked the whole story, obliterated all people, because they're all rebels anyways, what is God like? We, we look to Jesus. What is the Father like? What is the Spirit like? What, how does Jesus make the Father known? You look to Jesus, God the Son incarnate. What does God do in your suffering and sin? He moves towards you. He doesn't recoil from you. He's not revulsed by you. Yes, his eyes are too pure to look on sin. And yet, what did God do? God himself became man. Truly God and truly man. God himself is like Jesus. Because he is Jesus. God the Son incarnate. And what did Jesus do? When God the Father sent the Son, did he send Jesus to the palaces of the world? Did he give Jesus a bank account that rivaled the most wealthy in the world. No, what did God do? What does God, like God, in the person of His Son, became a poor, marginalized, humble servant... He deserves all glory. He was worthy of the kingdoms of the world. And yet Jesus entered into a small backwoods town and lived a quiet life, swinging a hammer and all the things that he did, loving his parents and his siblings. And Jesus came as a poor slave, Philippians 2 tells us. That's what God is like. He came to identify with the hardships of our lives, the tribulations and trials being in, even though he was without sin, he was still in a fallen body that grew older and had aches and pains and more. That's what God is like. Moving towards you. What What is God like? Look to Jesus in his sinless life. Rebuking sin. Healing and delivering the sick and the oppressed. Dining with sinners. He hung out with prostitutes. And drunkards. Because and he moved towards them in their sin. The entanglement that they had with the rebellion of God. And Jesus is the rescuer. That is what the Father is like. What is God like? Look to the cross. That's what God is like. There is no greater emblem and of all of human existence that displays both the justice and the love of God. Do you want to see how sinful your sin is? Look to the cross. It took Christ to bear hell, as it were, All of God's wrath on himself so you would not have to be reminded of what Jesus has done in your place. That Jesus satisfied God's justice upon himself so you wouldn't receive it. So you would receive his grace. What does the love of God look like? Look no further than the cross because there is where a thorn-pierced brow, pierced side, disjointed joints, blood whipped back, suffocating and dying Jesus for you. So you wouldn't have to suffer for your sins. Jesus said, that's what God is like. Don't doubt His justice. Don't doubt His love. That is what God Is like. And Jesus keeps making. God known. This God of the gospel. What is God like? Look to Jesus. Risen from the grave. Defeating death. defanging the devil. Ascending into heaven. As our worthy and accepted sacrifice. And priest. Who is seated down. Because it is finished. Mission accomplished and applied that's what god is like the end for which god works in the gospel i'm going to thread this needle carefully we are protestants we are evangelicals we love the doctrine of justification by faith alone in christ alone by grace alone We love that doctrine. We love the doctrine of what's called penal substitutionary atonement. The legal satisfaction that Jesus performed in our place as our substitute on the cross. We love those doctrines. They are the centerpiece. They are the chief facet on the diamond that is the gospel. But the diamond itself is adoption. To become children of the Father, beloved sons and daughters. Our danger as gospel people is to reduce the gospel to only justification by faith. It begins with justification by faith, but God is not a reluctant savior. God's salvation of you was not to save you, atone for your sins. Jesus washes you white with his blood and then says, I'm frustrated with you, get out of my face, Never to see you again. Quit messing up, you mess up. And yet, that's how we think God thinks of us, a reluctant Savior or more. No, what we see here when God makes his name known, God's aim, the Father's aim in the gospel, is that you could actually call him Father because he wants to be your Abba Father. That's what God's aim is, the doctrine of adoption because of Jesus' penal substitutionary atonement. God's aim is to take people like you and me, lost and dead in our trespasses and sins, and to take us from death to life, from darkness to light, and then not leave us alone, but to bring us into the kingdom of heaven. God's aim in the gospel is fellowship. Not that you would have a list of abstract ideas and doctrines. That you would know God himself as the person that he is. That there would be an intimate relationship between you, his child, and our good, good father. Jesus has made the father known and is making the father known. You know, we have all of our relationships our friends, our family, our children, marriages, and more. And we think that we know people well, and then they surprise us. People change over years and decades. And we we never know someone fully how much more than this infinitely good, infinitely all-wise, infinitely all-knowing, infinitely all-powerful, triune God. You see, the central joy... Of the life that we will share together in the new heavens and new earth, where the first day is the best there ever was, and then every day to follow is better than that one. When we are in that place, one of the things that God will do is give us a continually increasing apprehension and comprehension of who the Father is, of who the Son is and the Spirit is. In that sense, The glory and the grace that we will live in, in the new heavens and new earth, reveals that the gospel goes on forever. Part of the fullness of joy and part of the pleasures forevermore as we go about our life in the new creation that in many ways mirrors this one is that there will be a continual awareness, not just of joy and not just of pleasure, but of the Father's pleasure and joy in saving you. The gospel will go on forever with every day better than the best day before. But all of that begins now. It actually began the moment that John 3 happened in your life, the moment that you were born again. You see, the spirit's role, as Jesus has made, has revealed in these chapters we've been looking at, the spirit's role is to make much of Christ, And here we just heard that Jesus' role is to point us to the Father. So how does Jesus keep making the Father known? It's by the Spirit working with the Word of God in the child of God to make God more known. So yes, One of the reasons why we love singing the word of God and reading the word of God and praying the word of God and and hearing the word of God preached and seeing the word of God on display in baptism and the Lord's Supper and more. We love that because it's in those moments that God is Jesus is by the spirit, making the father more known to us. Yes, preaching involves admonition and exhortation put into practice the ways of God. Yes, preaching involves calls to godly living and more, but that is not the ultimate purpose of preaching. The ultimate purpose of you assembling together as the family on Sundays is not your better behavior. That's not the ultimate purpose. It's a byproduct. Holiness, we must live it out. But God's ultimate purpose in preaching the word is so that God himself... Might be made known more and more through Christ. The purpose of all preaching is Jesus Christ, and knowing Him more to know the Father more. So your prayerful expectation in coming to sit under the Word preached and to sing all we sing and do all we do is that you should leave here, Lord willing, with a greater, with an enlarged heart knowing who christ is what the gospel is and what the father has for us that our hearts would be captured in wonder that's the aim of why we gather more jesus so we have more spirit so we have more father if that makes sense that's the aim there's a question here are you growing in the grace and knowledge of jesus christ Are you growing in the grace and knowledge of the Father and the ministry of the Spirit? Are you receiving Jesus' revelation of the Father more and more through the Word? Do you know and worship the God of the Gospel more than you did a year ago? A couple years ago? A decade ago? Yes, we're in the middle of our sanctification. Yes, there's twists and turns. Yes, there's seasons of... Of, of 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 cold love, and yes, there's seasons of warm love, and yes, there's more. But 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 on the whole, do you see that you have a greater apprehension and comprehension of who God is? Jesus's will for your life is not only that you'd be with Him on that day, forever and ever, but that also, even now, and every now to follow, that we would have a greater glimpse. Of the glory of the Father himself whose joy is to give his son so that we can become sons and daughters of him. Church, marvel at the love of God. Jesus wants you with him in glory to see and experience the Father's love for him. Marvel that Jesus continually makes the Father known. And finally, marvel that the Father's love for Jesus courses In you. Final words are very important. They have a poetic and cinematic aspect to them. The final thing that you say on your deathbed at end of life and more. And here is Jesus. Verse 26. The last words he utters to his apostles in this moment. As he gives them his farewell speech before all that follows and it's to come. Here's what Jesus says. Let's take verse 26 in its full. I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known. So that. Were you here last week? Do you remember all the so that's? The purpose statement. I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known. So that. The love with which you, Father, have loved me, says Jesus, may be in them and I in them. The final words of Jesus, a tightly woven strand of DNA, what is Jesus' aim in making known the Father to you? Not just all the word I looked at, but so that love. So that The love with which the Father loves the Son, do you see where it is? Where does Jesus ask the Father to put the Father's love for Jesus? Do you you hear it? In you. In you. Let's come back to that. The gospel of John, more than any book in the entire Bible, is the gospel of love. It's a favorite word of Jesus in this gospel. It's a favorite word of John in his writings. In fact, only the book of Psalms as a whole mentions love more than the gospel of John. John mentions, I did a quick count, 57 times he mentions love. So, multiple times every chapter John or Jesus is speaking of love and in the gospel of John of all 57 times he mentions love in these five chapters of the upper room discourse 60% fall in these five chapters. 34 times with Jesus' farewell speech as our high priest, he keeps coming back over and over and over again to love. And, you know, we've been perplexed how abstract his language is. Remember, so many times across these chapters, I and them, you and me, us and them, them and us, and all that strange language. Now we're discovering what it is that Jesus means, and it's focused on this idea of, of love. Jesus wants you and me and us together to know unmistakably, beyond a shadow of a doubt, God's love. God's love. God's love is his warm hearted affection for you. Even when we were dead in sin. That that warm hearted love sent the son to rescue and redeem and die and adopt us by the blood of his son. The gospel was not God's plan B. The gospel has always been plan A and there's no other plan. The gracious gift of salvation was not rooted in his frustration of you. And his reluctance to save you. No, our God in three persons is love. 1 John 4, 8 and 16. And out of God, eternal love within himself as a community of persons before all creation. That overflow of the Father's love for the Son and the Son's love for the Father. Out of his eternally deep and paternal affection, you're here right now. Take that thread and trace it back. Go along that map all the way back to that moment, so to speak. When before there was any creation, God, perfectly content within himself, planned the gospel. Not in the abstract, but put names on it. Attached your name to it. Specific people for a specific salvation. And so, we have God's love. And the end for which Jesus works in verse 26 is not merely making the Father's name known, as if you could minimize those words. No, Jesus makes the Father known so that. And to what end? The end is love. Now, just thinking about this upper room discourse, we have already heard of Jesus' love for us. Right? Greater love has no one than this to... Someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. Jesus loves us. We heard that the Father loves us. Just I skipped over it intentionally last week. in 1723, I and them, you and me, so that it become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent and loved them. Love them. We, we divide the Trinity thinking that, well, yeah, Jesus loves us and the Father is upset with us. No, the Father is the one who planned the gospel. The Father himself loves us. We've, we've seen in this upper room that, that Jesus loves us, the Father loves us. We've heard that Jesus loves the Father. Peek back at 1431. In 1431, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Do you remember that verse? Do you see what, do you hear what Jesus just said? Jesus just revealed who the cross is about. Well, who's the cross for? Us, of course, the cross is the means by which we can be saved. But in 1431, Jesus reveals the mystery that the cross of Christ is only secondarily about us. Who is it primarily about? Look again. But I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. You would expect it to say that I love those whom the Father has given me. Jesus, here in 1431, as we are understanding what the love of God is, Jesus makes clear that the reason when we look at the cross and we, we have tears in our eyes at the salvation that Jesus has given us before anything, that's actually, the cross is a demonstration of Jesus' love for the Father through his obedience. Jesus loves the Father. And the Father, of course, loves Jesus. We heard that in our first verse this morning. Verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. We have heard that Jesus loves us the same way that. The Father loves him. 15.9. Look at 15.9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. That means that the way that the Father loves Jesus is the exact way that Jesus loves you. We can think that the Trinity has a uniquely special love within Himself, Father, Son, and Spirit, that's exclusive to the Trinity, but now we just discover that Jesus is, um, cracking open, so to speak, that Trinitarian love, the, the overflow of it, and with that, that Jesus loves you, to, with the very love the Father loves Jesus. And in chapter 20, or in verse 23, last week, I read it a moment ago, but I intentionally, again, left off the the end. This may be the most shocking for you of all of these gems and jewels of God's love being cast about from His Word. Shockingly, we have heard that the Father loves you the same way He loves Jesus. What does that mean? Think through the Gospels. Think through... How you'd answer the question, "What does God the Father think of the Son?" I, I mean, that's obvious. It's clear. There's well, there's 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 no greater love than the Father has for the Son, and that's a that's a that's a godly love because it's within God Himself, and Jesus is the perfect sinless one. So that's an exclusive love that only belongs to the Father and Son, right? No. Verse twenty three. I and them, you and me, so that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So when you read your Bible and when you think about the love the Father has for Jesus, Jesus has just revealed in 1723 that the Father loves you in the exact same way he loves the Son. Praise God! God's love circulates as a single attribute in and through the Trinity. And the fountain that it is spills over into creation and redemption. And it spills over, God's love does, right down to the gates of Hades and through them into death. And grabs you by the neck and pulls you out of the grave and gives you new life. That's what God is like. He goes into all the thick darkness that there is and reaches down and grabs you and puts light into your soul and life. And brings you into the light of his son. That's what God is like. That's what his love is like. Come to Jesus. And all of my weary Christian friends, all the things that distract us and and, and play with our emotions and anxieties and more, understand right now of God's love in Christ for us, the redeemed. And now Jesus closes his prayer by asking at the end of verse 26, the last Statement of what God's love is. In verse 26, he reveals to us something that's magnificent. And it's this. I have made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known. Why? So that the love with which the Father has loved Jesus would be in us and Christ in us. What does that mean? That means that the love that you have for Jesus, the affection that you have for the Savior, is actually not sourced in you. You're not the fountainhead. The Father is. And your love for the Savior is flowing from the Father in and through you to the Son. Your love for Jesus is the Father's love for Jesus in and through you. Think about that. So all the abstract language of I and you and you and me and us and them and all that language, this, this seam that stitches it all together is the love of God, that Jesus's love for the father is in us. The father's love for Jesus is in us. Same with the spirit and more. And all of that overflows through us to what Jesus called us to do in John 13, To lay down our lives for others. To put the towel on our waist. By this all will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. So when old Jonathan Edwards rightly called heaven a world of love, we now see that the church is a world of love. That all of these gems and jewels from the gospel being scattered about by from the Bible, it's not just future for the new heavens and new earth. It is meant to be the reality that animates your life now. It's why you get up in the morning and go do what you do. It's the banner that waves over your head that God is love and He loves you. We love Him because He first loved us. The Father's love for Jesus is shared among us and magnetically draws us together to express together admiration and devotion as we now, in this life, live out self-sacrificing, cross-bearing, towel wasted love for one another. Church, marvel at the love of God. Jesus wants you with Him in glory to see and experience the Father's love for Him. Marvel that Jesus continually makes the Father known even now, church. Marvel that the Father's love for Jesus courses in you. Amen. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the gift of salvation, the gift of your spirit, the gift of your church, the gift of adoption. Lord, I pray that you would overwhelm us with your glorious love. A love that reveals you're not reluctant in saving us, but that it's been your desire and plan all along. That your will is to bring a host of saints into your presence as beloved, adopted daughters and sons. Oh Lord, let us rejoice in that truth. And Lord, for those who don't know you in this place, that you would conquer them with your love and save them and bring them to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.